welcome back everyone to this week's edition of Spawn Camp. Uh, you're going to be enjoying our different takes on a variety of game and media topics, but it is always your best place to find some great pals hanging around this week. I will be your host, Tony, joined by my friends Angel in Florida. Hello, I'm Angel in Florida. That's my full legal name. <laughs> and my brother Alex over in Colorado. Hello. I believe this is your first show, potentially, so welcome. Thanks, it is. I didn't know that. Hi. Yeah, no, never. <laughs> well, hey. Yeah, never. I've never done one of these with you guys before. Later, when you're like in prison for something... This is going to be a really like haunting episode to have to listen to. <laughs> please don't, please don't say that. Um, we've got some fun, positive things to talk about this week, but I wanted to start with hearing how uh, things have been going for for you in Colorado, Alex. How you're holding up? All right, just doing some programming type deals. Um, I know you guys focus a lot on games in this podcast, and I don't really, uh, I don't get a chance to play much. Recently, I did switch my PS4 for a Switch. I didn't actually, I mean, it's a temporary thing. A friend of mine wanted to test out Gran Turismo 7, I guess, uh, to see if it's worth getting. And so he has my PS4 currently, and I have his Switch. So I got to unlock some things for him in Smash Bros, play some uh, classic Super Nintendo games, because I haven't messed with one much, honestly. Never owned it. So that's been, that's something new. Other than that, we're doing well. Dogs are well. We don't only talk about games either. Um, we're always happy to chat about comics you've been reading, books, movies, TV shows, and Angel's been passing around the idea of talking, talking about more evergreen topics, like different design essentials, or just kind of approaching things that aren't necessarily directly related to topical things so if you have anything you want to talk about if you're like yeah i've been studying light and shadow in regards to to metal surfaces i don't give a shit man i'm here to just hang out so all right good to know that said what are your opinions on light and shadow in regards to metal surfaces <laughs> well they're very shiny one's one is shiny and one is not uh I don't know. I haven't done any art lately at all, actually. Oh, no. I haven't really touched. Hell yeah, dude. I don't really touch it anymore. I've been focused on trying to improve my position at my job. And I've been working on... Actually, I talked to Tony about it briefly. I'm trying to make this little uh, database tracking app for D&D just as a side project, something to do. But yeah, I don't really I don't really art much anymore. We got to talk after class about that app. Because I love to talk about stuff like that. <laughs> Sure. How do you feel about that? Because, like, so for listeners, uh, Alex here is an amazing illustrator. You don't have to admit to that. That's my uh, take on it. I don't. There's a lot of self-loathing there. Aw. <laughs> all good. All good artists hate their art. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was just a career change, and I haven't been focusing on it much. Then you know, I think I'll pick it up eventually when there's there's no chance at all of it being sold, making any money off it, whatever, whatsoever, and having it hang in my house only. That's interesting. So it's like, so you feel cool with it on a career point of view, but you're really excited to do it not for money? Well, no, I mean, it's it's strange. I didn't know that I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't by any means hate it or anything. Uh, I just, I don't know, lost it. They say, you know, do what you love, but if you do what you love, it becomes a job and then you start to dislike it sometimes. I don't know. I'm still tinkering with computers and stuff, so don't hate that. 
I think it was just a, had a different passion that I wasn't aware of that I wanted to pursue with more veracity. So that's what I'm doing now. I don't know. I, I'm like, I don't, like I said, I don't hate it. I still follow people, friends of mine who are illustrators, and I still very much enjoy like the whole concept art scene. And I actually just talked to my friend Jim. You guys know Jim, but he's a, he's a comic enthusiast in Florida. And he, uh, he and I recently talked and I realized I just haven't read a lot of comics lately. So that's something else that needs to change. Find find something good to pick up. Honestly, yeah. Every every time I see Jim talk on Twitter or anything about a an amazing series he's following or something else, it pains me that like it's something I haven't enjoyed and not I, I enjoy it, but I haven't like delved into in years. And, and other podcasts I listen to where they talk about great comics they'd recommend or anything like that. It's just such a different sect, it's such a different world of of consuming different media. Yeah, I do. And I'm like, I saw, we went to a comic shop down in Colorado Springs and we were just there, but it just said comics and collectibles. Um, and I went and I was like, oh, it really is just collectibles. They didn't have a lot in there. And there was stuff like Hercules magnets from the show from the 90s. There was, they actually had manga that was Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. I didn't even know that was ever one. So they had like part one and two, you know, Young Link, Old Link, and just other various comics that were reprints or whatever you know just issues um none of which were exceedingly valuable but i was kind of looking for an actual modern comic shop with current titles and it was not that because i probably would have bought something like a trade if that were the case (laughs) can't help myself usually when i go into a shop that's sad i've noticed that for game shops a bit like i know gamestop obviously they're doing the whole thing where you walk in and what was that they like bought another company and then when you walk in there, it's like all pop vinyl figures and collectibles. Because if you want to buy a game, I guess they'll have it. That's still the place. But you can totally like go on Steam. You know, <laughs> it's a different time. I don't know if it's similar. Are comics like mostly like so like an ebook thing for Nooks now? I have never delved into it. There are places and ways to read digital comics, and they oftentimes will offer a digital copy of a comic. They were doing that, like trying to bring up the amount of people reading things digitally. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there, which I have no idea what the landscape looks like as far as those apps, you know, that you're using to read comic books. I mean, I used to just use, oh, I forget what it's called now, but you would just read a a zip file that's a comic book and it was basically a PDF. But imagine how interactive that could be if you, if you made it right. It could look like whatever that game was back for the Sega Genesis or it was like an interactive comic book. I don't know if you guys, I need to Google these (laughs) things as I talk. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of, I feel like it'd be awesome to read. And I remember years ago seeing stuff in in a web format that was taking advantage of the fact that it was a web format and that it was like an infinitely scrollable page in any direction. So you could follow the panels however you wanted. Um, certain ones were interactive in a way where you could like click something and then it would take you through as, as through a portal to somewhere else, you know, or you could read it completely in landscape. I remember finding one. I've never found it again. And you could just scroll to the left, you know, that was how you were reading the comic. It was formatted in such a way that it was like, you know, the landscapiness was enhanced. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff you could do digitally, but I don't know what they're doing now. I don't read comics digitally. It seems like the the future, honestly, as far as how it's delivered to people, um, the fact that obviously one of the main drawbacks of comics is the amount of space that that takes and the, the print production and all of that. If you remove that overhead of actually producing the goods to be physical... And instead you have people uh, consuming them digitally so that they have their collection digitally. 
I think that that is obviously going to be the way forward. I know that for games, that kind of style would be a visual novel sort of thing. But even in animated features, I've seen that kind of manipulation of the comic art. I think the Iron Man Extremists animated one they had on Netflix for a little while was just the comic panels, but slightly warped and bent in ways where it like had motion and had animation. I'm interested to see where that goes, because after the comics bubble in like the 90s where they really oversold how much these things were worth and now there seems to be a resurgence in that storytelling maybe it will find its place in that digital frontier because it's how people are going to be consuming stuff going forward streaming is huge i don't see people going back to theaters immediately i I think that uh, comic shops are probably going to be unfortunately losing their lunch to to digital at some point here soon yeah that i definitely have seen that is you know that's the main drawback of mom and pop comic shops is it's cool and it's you're holding it in your hand and that's just how the industry has worked for a long time diamond comics owns a majority i think of the printing and the shipping of all of those issues and comic shops have this very weird esoteric thing a system that they use to figure out how many copies they need to buy and and i don't know exactly how the sales works out for that but it's uh not i don't know how much it's kept up with the fact that yeah you can totally just catch whatever you want stream it download it and have it forever so it should change hey speaking of uh theaters have you guys done a drive-in not during the pandemic hilariously enough like i did one right before and then the pandemic and i haven't gone since <laughs> it's so far away there's one like i'm in orlando well i'm not in orlando anymore but i'm close to orlando the only one i found was like halfway to tampa i don't know if you guys know a better one but also it gets really hot what people don't know about drive-ins is that you're sitting there with the ac off because your car has to be off so if it's not like a nice cool night you're in for a bad time well i living in colorado there are nice cool nights here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we actually had to um we popped open the trunk and we went to go watch. I I saw The Goonies was the first one I watched in my friend's Jeep. And then there was another theater we went with some friends who came to visit us to see Jurassic Park, the first one. Uh and we rolled up the car and you popped the trunk open and we had blankets and gummy bears and all kinds of stuff. And then we realized that the trunk light was going to be on the whole time, so we had to pull a fuse in the car to make sure that the interior <laughs> lights were off. And you tune to a radio station, listen to the show, and it's weird because it's echoing all over the parking lot. And you can hear everybody else's. A lot of people bring camp chairs, and they were still doing social distancing, so it was every other parking space, you know? It was, uh, it was an interesting experience, and it made me be like, why do we even, can we do this instead? <laughs> I guess you can pack more people inside a theater, but it was, uh, it was, it was neat to do it because I'd never been to one before this. So that's kind of, I guess, the modern idea of a drive-in i wonder how many drive-ins are like popping up because of this like i'm curious i mean in general i'm curious how the world changes because of this but are it's one thing if drive-in movies are doing better it's another thing if they're literally like popping up like the industry is like increasing and has a resurgence that'll stick around afterwards yeah, the ones I've seen are just worth their theaters and they like need business because they were dying and so they just turned the parking lot into the new theater Whoa. for now. Temporarily put up a big big screen, you know. So it was it's not uh, an established, oh this is now a drive-in theater. It was just like we're going to put a projector up <laughs> outside and have a big movie out there. That's awesome. I had no idea. In Colorado's every state's doing different stuff, man. Colorado's had some interesting ways to deal with that. 
It's one of them. Here in Florida, we just go back to Disney and die. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we've thought up so far. (laughs) Good idea, Florida man. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with with the pandemic still being in effect and having a lot of live events having to take place and thankfully not uh, be at a physical location like Disney, one of the ones that just recently happened that was supposed to be going forward this year, but they did a whole digital version. Uh, They did Gamescom, but all presented uh, online, hosted by Jeff Keighley, and there was quite a lot of unimportant things, weirdly, that were shown off. It felt like a very padded show that was a lot of things that may or may not have necessarily been to have been discussed or at the length that they were discussed. But there were a few standouts that I think would be really fun to approach. And before we jump into any of them, there was one tiny one that I wanted to talk about that makes me sad that I think a lot of people are having difficulty with this title. There's a game coming out called Limnis Gate, L-E-M-N-I-S space G-A-T-E. And it's a game that is multiplayer where you play in loops of like 25 seconds. So your character runs and does something. It's a little bit like Braid, but it's like a multiplayer shooter. So you have like a 25 second imprint where you're doing something with your character and then you make another imprint after 25 seconds. So you're doing that with multiple other people and you're trying to like figure out where they are and you're going to be like shooting where they'll be or doing something in relation to something else you'll be doing. So you're trying to like plot where your roots are. That all sounds interesting and the, the character art is really cool. It seems like a fun game. People are having trouble with the name, and I think it's unfortunate because it's a really cool play on words, because the actual name for the infinity symbol is Limniscate, S-C-A-T-E. So the game is Limniscate, so it's an infinite loop, and I think that that's really cool, but everyone's missing that because they're like, fuck this game, the name's hard to pronounce, and I'm like, but it's a fun pun, like, I like this. Yeah, I wanted to address it really quickly. Keep addressing it. I like it. (laughs) I I actually didn't hear about this game. Um, do you think there was someone on the development team that like early, early on, they were like, I have this genius idea for the name. Okay. So did you know an infinity symbol is actually called, and they're like, they went through this whole thing and everyone else on the team was like, that's stupid. No one's going to get that. And he fought for it so hard. And now like the game is out and everyone is sending him like screenshots of like news articles where it's like, I can't pronounce the name of this game. (laughs) I feel so bad. You're right, though. That's an awesome name, I, and I didn't know that. I learned that from a Snapple cap. <laughs> <laughs> that is such an internet thing, by the way, to just shit all over a game because it's. I don't like the name. <laughs> it's like, well, dude, dude. No, that's oh, not okay. to say that there's been extreme negative discourse around it, but like people I've heard talking about this game, they're just like, how do you pronounce it? What's this name? This is a stupid name. And I'm like, maybe, but there's. I know what the intent behind it is because of this other thing. It seems to make sense. But... One of the things I definitely wanted to address myself, but I would love for you to go into more detail with, Angel, is weirdly there's a new Medal of Honor game because I haven't heard much about Medal of Honor in a long, long time because it used to be the direct competitor to Call of Duty. And what they showed off seemed excellent. It seems so fun. There's one standout moment where the person's VR hands grab this bust of a statue and just smash it against the back of a head. Oh, it is... It looks like a fun time, and it's just shooting Nazis in VR, so I'd love to hear more about your take on it, because you've had a lot of experience designing for VR. Yeah, if there's if there's one game I really want to talk about from Gamescom, like, my personal pick is, like, 12 minutes, but I, when I saw the Medal of Honor thing, I was like, I gotta get my thoughts out on this, because I'm so excited. So, I'm, I'm happy for a few reasons. One, I've been very invested in, like, 
the rise of VR and how it will hopefully enter mainstream consumer gameplay. There's there's this question, like this weird negative feedback loop of big AAA franchises and studios are not going to make VR games because there's not enough people playing VR games and there's not enough people playing VR games because there's not enough big AAA franchises making VR games. And I've been telling people for a while that even on a good development cycle, it can take years to make the kind of game you're asking for. And I mean, it's only been a handful of years since people really heard about Oculus. So everyone's sort of been holding their breath forever for really big cinematic games that fulfill like the idea that people have of VR. So there's really kind of like three things I think that people are really waiting for. One is like the Oasis, like from Ready Player One. They want like some giant virtual world and that's like far from getting here. They want something like the Black Mirror fighting game where you can, you know, let off steam with your friends. And uh, <laughs> they want to be inside like World War II. Like that's like a huge fantasy for a super long time. And I think it was genius of them to say, let's grab a franchise you guys haven't heard of in a while and let's turn that into the game. So the other thing that made me really excited was, like you said, we haven't heard of Medal of Honor in a long time, and I loved Medal of Honor. I think it just didn't scale into the sort of annual Call of Duty money-making releases, and the first-person shooter in general sort of like went to the wayside to like third-person action stuff in the last gen. So it makes sense that Medal of Honor kind of disappeared for a while, and this makes perfect sense to bring it back. This feels... Like, fingers crossed, Respawn's doing this. I'm very excited for it. It looks fantastic. Fingers crossed this is almost like a Doom moment where, like, Doom comes back with this beautiful reboot where everyone's like, oh, my God, this is exactly how Doom should exist in the 21st century. (laughs) They're all in the 20... So a new Doom should feel like this. I think a new Medal of Honor will have the sort of immersion and, like, Medal of Honor's always been about putting you in the boots of the soldier, whereas... Call of Duty maybe originally was like that, but now it's like you get to run and shoot fast and it's fun. Medal of Honor fits this very well, in my opinion. This could be a really big play. And I think more than anything, this game could really, really, really open doors for getting big games out there if it does well financially, which I think it will. And the hype people are having for it, because it's just the kind of heavy hitter where people are like, oh my God, I I was waiting for this title. I was waiting to like be in World War II. That was like a fantasy I had. And now Respawn is giving it to me through Medal of Honor. Sign me up. And so I think people are going to be very excited for this. I think it means a lot for VR. Those are my thoughts on it. Do you think it's something you might be interested in, Alex? Even just like I know that you used to play Medal of Honor a lot back in the day. I know we, we played together some. Oh, I, I paid. I played Cod Lops. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was never... I mean, I played Medal of Honor, but the one I remember playing was... Uh, ps1 medal of honor so uh it's been a minute but no that's a, that's super cool i haven't played much beyond beat saber and uh, i never even got to do the the um battlefront mission where or when they added it to where you could play with psvr you could do starship fight that you could be in the cockpit with the vr helmet on so i really haven't touched it almost at all but i'd be interested to try it if someone else has it around for me to check it out i wouldn't mind it's, it sounds awesome. There's stuff that you can definitely watch because it was maybe around 2018, 2019 that they had the release of Project Alex, which A-L-Y-X, um, which was the Valve kind of Half-Life continuation sort of thing. It's not Half-Life 3. 
and there never will be a Half-Life 3. I will bet all of the organs in my body on that, but the the Project Alex that came out on VR was sort of that step that you were talking about, Angel, as far as like a big name developing a project specifically for VR that was going to be offering cinematic experiences, and it's something that really delivered on that for the people that were able to try it, because it was for very specific VR system, right? Yeah, it was for, well, Steam does like the HTC Vive stuff, so Steam Index and yeah. their side of things versus Oculus, which has a huge market share, so it's kind of a downside. But for the people that were able to try it out, they were like, this is the experience that we've been wanting, because you can, just the, just the way that you can interact with that world in a really direct manner is, is sets it apart and shows like why VR can be something really special. I have very little limited experience with VR directly. It's something that I think is going to be pushing gaming forward, and I think is really exciting, and the company should be investing in. Although it is obviously a very scary proposition, you've got to have a huge investment of the people actually playing on the platform. You've got the thing that runs it, you've got the thing that displays it, you've got the games that are working for it. It's got to be a lot of things, a lot of pistons hitting on all fronts to really make it function well. But it's something that can kind of change that aspect of games being the most immersive medium as far as allowing player agency to interact with the story and crossing that final threshold of like, being the player you aren't the person on the couch with the controller you are the person so that's that's the the most enticing aspect of that and although the elements of having a fantasy of being in world war ii are maybe troubling um (laughs) maybe this this medal of honor delivering on that could be a really cool experience for people and something that will make that player base of vr just that much more foundational and that that much stronger so what i meant about and that's definitely true what i meant about the fantasy (laughs) to elaborate i think um i want to talk about the difference kind of between half-life alex and this because you're absolutely right half-life alex was i think the first big like this is a vr flagship triple a game and this is what it can look like the difference is that half-life is something gamers are really excited in and steam in particular and pc gaming that's really the base of vr right now because if you want the highest end vr you need super expensive gaming rig you need to buy the full vr rig and that's been something that is incredibly prohibitive for vr as an industry you have to be a hardcore enthusiast and those people overlap uh, overlap perfectly like if you made a venn diagram it's like concentric circles between vr enthusiasts and people who have steam and like half-life so it made perfect sense for them to be very hype about it i think if you just asked a random person on the street that didn't know about half-life and you tried to describe Half-Life Alex to them, they wouldn't really know what you're talking about. They'll say, oh, that's cool. I, I'm hearing you that that's an interesting VR game. But if you told anyone on the street, hey, Medal of Honor, which you may have heard of, but in general, like this big, immersive World War II like, shooter simulator now has this amazing VR game where we put in the shoes of a soldier, they immediately get it. So it's not so much there's like a specific fantasy about World War II. It's more that forever people have liked, like male gamers in particular, have loved the idea of being put in these like war situations. Like World War II games were a massive boom not even a decade ago. And of the two Super AAA games, I think Medal of Honor has this really interesting like X factor to get a mass audience in it. Because like you were saying, it's a huge investment to do VR. The biggest issue is, I want to say Beat Saber was the most profitable VR game, and 
the sales for that don't come close to a big AAA like PS4 title. So if you wanted to make your money back, you have to operate at not even like half of what you think your profits are going to be from the big kind of AAAs that people are expecting to wait for. People are like, oh, I'll go over to VR when like a Horizon Zero Dawn, like some Last of Us level game comes out for it. But Last of Us costs more to make than any VR game has ever made. So I'm hoping games like Medal of Honor bring huge amounts of mass audience to the VR market by delivering on those specific things. I, I think it's genius that it's World War II in particular and not like some modern sci-fi cyberpunk shooter. And then that in turn opens the gates for future games. We shall see. We shall see. <laughs> I've been saying that for years, so don't actually, take my opinion with a grain of salt. Is it just like this is the year of the Linux desktop? Yeah. <laughs> this is also, by the way, the year of the t- Linux desktop. 2020, the year of the Linux desktop. They <laughs> saw this great thing that said, uh, you know, I think it was just a tweet. Someone was just like, people keep being like, oh, 2020, what a, a whole bunch of random, horrible, chaotic things to happen as if we haven't been beating the living shit out of our planet for hundreds of years. <laughs> <laughs> that had nothing to do with it. It's just these four numbers. That's what it is. There was a awesome podcast that I follow called You Are Wrong About. And they just did a special bonus episode about the Stepford Wives. And they talked about the aspects of nostalgia that people pine for from the 50s was kind of this time period where we were fucking the planet, but we weren't like reaping those negatives. So we were like living high on all of the shitty things. You know, we're doing a bunch of drugs, but we don't have any to come down. So like this 50s and 60s are like, this is dope. And then the time after that is like, oh, this is all the bad stuff from the dopeness. I miss the dope stuff. And you're like, well, you don't get that anymore. <laughs> Jones in for That's it, man. Accurate. That's accurate. Yeah. Maybe this is a good time for VR. I want to escape. I want to be in the good times like World War II. One of the other cool ones I showed off for VR that isn't VR exclusive, but has VR capabilities is the Star Wars Squadrons games game, which could be cool i'm pretty excited for it i don't know how much you might have talked about that with jim alex but uh squadron seems like it would be right up your alley i i did just watch the trailer that's the first i've seen of it and it looks baller (laughs) that's always been my favorite part of the star wars franchise is the stories of the pilots and and the uh dog fighting aspect of it. it's like why all kids in the 90s loved watching top gun because they had jets and they shot at each other so maybe it's a boy thing too i don't know for some boys it awoke something <laughs> <laughs> go kelly mcgillis uh the but you were saying angel that it's been a male gamer thing to want to be put in war situations and to me it's like sticks and rubber bands have just graduated to you know simulacrum level so you put this helmet on and you can be in a war zone now so you don't have to pretend with sticks but but yeah as far as the star wars squadrons that it does look amazing. I mean, you can, it looks like you can actually pull maneuvers that they always talked about in the X-Wing series of books because you're in zero gravity. None of those ships would fly for real, especially in atmosphere. I appreciated that, uh, you know, TIE fighters in the stories would, their wings would rip off if they tried to yaw too hard to the left or right because there's air involved. <laughs> but I, I was watching the trailer and it looked like people were, were pulling those kind of moves and uh, at least from the cockpit view that they were constantly showing. It looked uh, really immersive and pretty. Lots of lots of pretty colors and pew pew lasers. So it seems like the cockpit view is the one that they're designing the game around. I don't even know if they're going to intend to offer the behind the camera view of the ships because of how much they've catered the 
interior cockpit displays to show all of the information about the ship. It seems like they're really focusing on having that be your the way that you develop that information in the world because you are the pilot. They, I think the focus... Now, that's not me saying there is no third-person mode. My hope is, and my expectation is, there will be a huge focus on first-person as far as existing in that cockpit, being that pilot, and they're, the way that they're approaching having a five kind of roles that you can you can approach in it so you can have fighters supports bombers seems like something it'll really attribute to the hero shooter genre that's been happening and a really interesting unique dynamic because for me i love playing tank and support characters may way more than damage dealing ones so to show like a u-wing supporting other other ships or like a b-wing or something i'm so excited for that yeah and in a meaningful way where it's it's <laughs> So many, so many online multiplayer games, which I very much avoid today, sadly, because of the gamer rage. It is strong in me. You guys have both played Super Smash Brothers with me. It's terrible. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, if, if you could say, like you said, have a U-Wing and then it's not just, oh no, somebody else just, there's some lone wolf that's amazing with, you know, a thousand kills in a, in a five minute span and just blasts you out of the sky. I've always longed for a game like that where, you know, cause I tried playing the, uh, the star, sh- the I forget. I think it's like star starship fight. I forget the mode in Battlefront. But when you are in starfighter mode, there's just you know you kill you get one kill on a non-computer player, and all of a sudden they have it out for you, and then you have no fun because that person's just like, how dare you kill me? You're a noob, and they just destroy you over and over and over again, <laughs> for for no other reason than to just be vindictive. Uh, I mean, and that's I guess that's just online gamer culture. But it would be nice to have a game like that where the missions don't really allow you to go off and do that. To you know, I guess to a certain extent, you want people to be able to shine if they're really good at the game. But if you're playing in a mode like Capture the Flag, or you know, it always happened in Battlefield for me too. With it's like, oh, go protect these areas, and instead there's just one dude three sixty no scoping everyone. <laughs> That's a good observation, Tony. That it's like a hero shooter yeah well that's that's an element of, of overwatch that i really enjoy is is for all of the ways that you can have people pop off and really do you know a one-man army kind of thing if you're not playing the objective if you're not doing the thing that you're all as a team supposed to be doing you won't win and any time that i see people really lean in that egotism lean into that pride that hubris of well there was someone in the back that was pushing the cart and they won and they beat you <laughs> like you can kill as many people as you want, but if you weren't watching the thing you're supposed to be doing, you lose. Like, So if, if the squadrons can orient that way where it's like, yeah, there's going to be elements of really good you know, ace pilots that can shoot a bunch of people, but the, the team that plays together and is playing the objective is going to be victorious, that I think will be a really cool element. Maybe my issue is I never joined enough clans or had a group of people I play with regularly. That's probably my issue because I feel like if you have headsets and you squad up, and you just like, let's play for a couple hours, you probably will do better by and large. And I just, you know, I always ended up playing online games with just a couple, you know, I played Overwatch with you guys years ago now, but, you know, like one or two friends maybe, and never, you never had a full squad of like six or seven people that could form a team, and then you could actually coordinate. Might still lose. It's a totally different experience. That's maybe the one downside of those games, is that people playing on teams are having way more fun. But I think in general, that that aspect that someone can jump in and be a healer and be just as important and have a super valid, super fun time playing the game as the guy who's like incredible at headshots, I think that's what put hero shooters on the map 
I think that's why they're huge now. I think that's why Overwatch made as much money as it did. Because for the first time, it's like, you don't have to play with Counter-Strike levels of headshot accuracy to be valid at all in this game. That made a huge, huge, huge difference to shooters in general. And I didn't even put together that Squadrons is totally that until you said that, Tony. (laughs) So thank you. Because that's a really enlightening way to look at it. That's super valid. That's absolutely true. I think it's going to do really well because of it, too. I hope so. It's, it, I mean, it's a beautiful-looking game so far. Can I, can I throw in a random one? Because I'm, I'm still scrolling through the Gamescom um, trailers. Pharaoh, dude. Tony, you remember playing Pharaoh? Uh, they didn't have any gameplay or anything of it, but the fact that they're re- remaking it. I did not see that. That makes me excited. That's kind of fun, right? I mean, it was, it was a game where you could... It was sort of like you know civilization or age of empires but it was less focused on the military and espionage it was almost all just city building or you could at least play it that way and it looks like uh i, I just wonder what it's going to look like because i don't know how much i'll get into it that was something we played with our with our dad was was pharaoh because he was all obsessed with he was all upset it might have been that or caesar but he was obsessed with urban planning at the time and so he treated it as sort of an experiment and uh, Cree, you could build a, you had a road. That's all you started with. And then you would plop a couple signs down like vacant spot here as if it wasn't clear that it was vacant. Um, but then some people would shamble up with a cart full of rocks or whatever they had. And they'd pop up a little cloth tent. And then you could slowly build this, you know, Roman city from that. Or in the case of Pharaoh, an Egyptian city. Um, but he wanted to see what it was like if he built it as we do in the modern times with, uh, with cars being the primary mode of transportation, the ability to commute. So he, he built sort of a center of a city that had decent decent infrastructure, and then he just took a road and built it out to nowhere and <laughs> built a suburb, uh, which didn't have a, a school, a fire like prefect station or anything nearby, just like a well and a granary, and, and pestilence and fire spread and killed the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted to prove, he just wanted to prove that suburban suburbanization and like building... Um, you know, subdivisions out in the middle of nowhere because the land's cheap. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a really accurate model if you're using Pharaoh or whatever. But it's it was almost like a to him it was an experiment, but it looked a little like you know playing God complex. Like look at these tiny people's lives. I can control. Did he ever discover the Sim games? Yeah. Oh uh, no, no, he never did. <laughs> <laughs> because there's some games there for him. We should tell him about that. <laughs> Sid Meier spent a lot of time making video games for your dad, and he never found any of them. No, no, I uh, I like the pirates, Sid Meier's pirates. But yeah, we should we should tell dad about that. See what happens. I think that he'd be super keen to play some Pharaoh. Pharaoh and Caesar were both exceptional games, and I think Pharaoh was just different enough in the ways that it handled the different resources and trade. You can hear my dog huffing and, and snoring in the background. The, the way that uh, Pharaoh handled all the different stuff and also incorporated all the different following of the gods because they did that with like Greek gods and Caesar. And then in this one, they had the Egyptian gods that you'd like build temples to and all this. It was exceptional. And yeah, it didn't even remember that it came out in 99. It's been 21 years, but that's going to be an amazing game for people to hop into because I'm sure this ties into any discussion we've had about um, game ar- archiving those games you've never really been able to play in a tangible way because you need all these different kind of things running to get that emulator going and now if they're gonna have a great remastered version of people to hop into you're gonna have people that have never even heard of it finally getting able to experience it yeah in a new way i mean it's hopefully it's got that the style of the animation that they used for the trailer was pretty sweet and if they managed to incorporate that 
I would be disappointed. That's awesome. I love stuff like that, like games archiving. By the way, speaking of Age of Empires 3, like that's getting an HD remaster that they had at Gamescom. And I was super hype because I was an Age of Empires kid. I actually did Age of Mythology the most. So everything you guys were talking about Pharaoh, I've never played Pharaoh. But I had really similar experiences playing Age of or Age of Mythology because they had like gods that you build shrines to and it was an RTS, but I never played it competitively like Starcraft or something. I'd always play it like I was planning a city, like I'd build the walls and try to kind of plan where my buildings went and I loved it. I just watched um, a super long YouTube video by Action, A-K-S-H-O-N, Action Sports about Age of Empires 2 and how the competitive scene for that had been going for 20 years because the game came out, people have been playing it, and it basically never really updated from that point. And so the metagame of that competition and the people that have like made their own servers to keep the game going because it used to run on like MSN Play or something, and then Microsoft or AOL or whatever shut that down, and so they made their own servers and kept the game going. It's been the same basic version of the game for about two decades and there's been people playing it competitively for two decades and they are like the top of the fucking game and so when they remade age of empires 2 or remastered it and then there's gonna be an age of empires 3 remaster the whole scene has been revitalized the prize pools are in tens of thousands it's obscene you've got this game that's so old but it's got this incredibly vibrant community around it hey man people are still playing baseball and basketball right I uh, actually I saw the same the same thing happen with the Myth community. Myth Two Soul Blighter was a game that came out in I think like '98, and there is a world championship every year with it. And by world, I don't know how many people actually watch or attend, but they still record the 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 game had some mechanism. It was like uh, it used OpenGL. One of the first games to use OpenGL to render the the topography of the map, and it was a map you could play it on Mac and you uh you could record your gameplay into a very strange format i think it was like some format that that understood and you can still download past myth 2 uh world championships in that file format and if you have the means to play it you can like rewatch these weird this weird file format you can replay myth 2 and it's the same thing that game is that old and yet people are still playing it and they you know know exactly all the maps know how to do it and they've done it for 20 years so you're telling me dude i uh i still i mean i play melee (laughs) like that's definitely that's probably the key example of that i suppose because that game's 20 years old and people like it just got revitalized this year the slippy like it uses dolphin emulator and then people play online now with uh rollback so it's like a modern fighter with no lag and it completely revitalized the scene with people playing each other and there's going to be like a ranked mode soon and this is like a 20 year old game crazy man is halo coming back (laughs) it's been back what are you talking about no halo no please no more halo (laughs) 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 oh you were talking about emulators too and i it's it's not as hard nowadays to get them spun up as it used to be like if you have a decent i mean if you're if you're uh whatever computer has a decent it's a decent rig like a decent graphics card you can play i mean a lot of them too you, you as long as you have a decent cpu you can actually play a lot of games i was i told i actually had tony on a, a call recently because i found jack and daxter precursor legacy i could play as a on via pcsx2 which is a ps2 emulator because i have a computer that can actually run it now and when you turn when you set it to render the graphics with your you know via i think that this 
like the Linux version of it uses OpenGL to render it. It's like it's like it got an HD remaster. And there are even games like for GameCube where people have created HD texture packs for Rogue Squadron Red Leader so that you can, at least the ships have HD textures on them now, though the polygon count's still low. I saw today someone just did that for Soul Reaver. Like the original Soul Reaver has an HD remaster. It's crazy. Yeah, it's all it takes is just improve, just, just change what's rendering. I mean, use a modern graphics card to render the same thing. It's nuts. I think more of my point is, is less uh, that it's impossible to access these things. And more that it should be easier to approach from a gamer perspective rather than like an archivist perspective. Because if people want to experience it that way, there are processes obviously that they can go through. But I do most of my library of games digitally because I don't want to get up and put a disc in. My capacity for the amount of effort I'm willing to put into selecting a game can even get down to the minutiae of like, I have to panel over four times to get to that. I don't want to do that. I have to download a <laughs> 200 meg update. So the 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 strings of things that, have, that people have to go through in order to access certain entertainment, you know, the, the least pain points possible, the least abrasiveness possible. So if there's going to be a new rendition of Pharaoh, if it's just like a new game where you can just access it easily, more people are going to experience it, even if they have access to those old games, the process of actually getting to play it, even if it only has some pain points, might be enough to just shoot them off of it forever. So I'm not saying that it's impossible. For the most part, most games aren't impossible to play. There are some, unfortunately, that... Up to a certain point, you will never be able to play a game, whether they depended on certain servers or all of the original source files are gone. But my, my intent is more that like it shouldn't you shouldn't have to approach it like a museum curator. Mm-hmm. You mean you mean like how uh, you know Nintendo has the arcade and you can you know play all their old Super Nintendo games? They ported them all over. I, I will not let this podcast say a nice word about <laughs> Nintendo. Okay, <laughs> banned. I I think a lot of companies realize that because there is interest. Nostalgia's always been powerful, but Blizzard in particular, they have like the Warcraft 3 remake or remaster, and they're offering that through Battle.net. They upgraded its whole network infrastructure, so it's just as easy. They did Vanilla WoW launched. I know they're doing that because they want that sweet cash. Warcraft 3 might be a bad example, unfortunately. Well, I guess their intent, right? Like they, they obviously want money, but I think people are asking for these kind of games and studios are starting to realize that we have all of these super easy ways of accessing our games now. They are on our uh, dashboard for our console or right there on Steam or in the Battle.net launcher. And if we can re-offer those games that they usually have archived themselves, they can, without even needing to modernize them much, they can breathe new life into old games, which are just as valid. Those games are super fun if they port them right. And People do want those games, and it's super cool that a whole new generation of people can be introduced to a game from the 90s, and they don't have to go be an enthusiast with a gaming rig and an emulator and follow three walkthroughs to do it. One I'm really excited for that's going to be coming soon is System Shock. It's being completely rebuilt and remade. I know System Shock just from word of mouth. I know very little about it or how it functions, or I've only seen brief gameplay of different stuff from previous versions, and it seems incredibly outdated. And the studio, I think, is Deep Dive Studios, is the one taking a lot of those files and a lot of the original stuff and kind of rebuilding it and recreating it in a modern way and able to be presented to a modern audience. I am so hyped for that because it's one that would have been prohibitive for me to access 
regardless of the file formats or whatever, the actual method of play that was acceptable back in whenever it came out is just so cumbersome and so difficult to navigate now that even just, you know, trying to manipulate it or trying to access it as a player would have been unimaginable. So them kind of reapproaching that old property and bringing it in a new way is really exciting stuff that they've been doing for Spyro for with Toys for Bob and, and Crash Bandicoot just these studios that are taking these properties that you know have importance and have significance to gamers that got their start at a young age and are kind of reintroducing it with you know rose tinted glasses included where they're like we're making it look the way you think it looked I love that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah it's funny I would actually I, I feel like uh the, being my first show I would have been like oh no you brought me on here and all I'm doing is talking about what I always do with Tony is like oh dude I'm emulating games or I'm playing this game that we used to play like you know 20 years ago but it's not my fault because the Gamescom thing that you uh you know that you'd sent me the link to look at all the trailers and stuff uh, several of them was like Crash Bandicoot Ace Combat Skies is uh Skies Unknown is doing a DLC where they're bringing in um, skins and old planes from previous games from like 15 years ago so I'm, I'm glad i'm not alone <laughs> i mean i knew i wasn't but i didn't realize that there was going to be it, it's it is cool to me to see a resurgence of things where i you know i still want to play new games obviously and there's there's so many other places it can go from here but angel and, and you are right that bringing these kind of games back not only is a revenue stream for companies that already own these ips and they just grab them dust them off polish them and send them back out maybe with some extra features and that's like you know cash cow it's, just, it's like you resurrected a cash cow from the dead and you're milking it again <laughs> but, but uh it's it's pretty cool that that there's still they're still playable. They're still fun. And there's some negativity. There's some negativity about this stuff sometimes where people say they're just rehashing old stuff. You see that a lot with movies where people like bemoan these like reboots, but we can have both. I think it's cool. I think it's cool that Toys for Bob started off making Spyro and Crash reboots and now they're making Crash 4. I'm like really unironically excited to play Crash 4. Huge Naughty Dog fanboy. The first three Crash games were so important to me. And I... I even had mixed feelings about the reboot and then seeing them do that and bring it to a new audience. That was cool. And then seeing them make crash four after it is even cooler. I think that's super interesting. So you can have both. You can have some studios making new stuff and they are tons of new stuff getting made all the time. And you can have some, like there's plenty of space to bring that stuff back, especially when it's low effort. And there's some like ownership people take about that where they're like, well, I was emulating it. I went through the hard work of that. But it's so much more interesting, I think, to have the studios themselves say, hey, we still care about this and we can modernize the access to it, even if it's just the access. We don't even have to make a full remake of the game. We can just give it to you on a modern platform. And now you have a bunch of 10-year-olds who've never even heard of, you know, Pharaoh and they get to play it for the first time. That's awesome. The games don't need to become some archived thing that people have to work super hard to get. I think that these things go in loops too. There's there's interest that people have that kind of goes cyclically. And it's, you, you honestly, I hadn't even thought about that with like this Gamescom and how much of it is kind of rehashed or, or well-trodden stuff. You know, there's a new Ratchet game. Weird. That's, I mean, there was a 2016 one, but that game is kind of firmly planted in the past. You know, there's Crash 4. That's old. There's Pharaoh. That's old as hell. There's Ace Combat skins that are old. Medal of Honor, that's old. Like, there's all these things that are very, very, you know, they've had their, they're past their prime for the most part, I guess. But, you know, there's this, this modern area for them to kind of 
sit and be like, no, we're still here. We still know that you care about this property, that you care about this kind of experience. The, the stuff I've heard people talking about with this new uh, Ratchet and Clank game, they're like, you know how we really had a, a platformer like this and forever? It's like, not really, not since the last Ratchet game. You know, that that thing that kind of used to be all over this, this sort of gaming space, uh, a platformer shooter or, you know, just a kind of standard platformer that you've you've got operating there's so little of that nowadays there's there's been new directions that we keep taking i just hope we we continue to avoid the mid-2000s mistake of every single game being a brown muddy shooter the more we can get out of that space the happier i'll be yeah and two open like open world open world brown muddiness love it i have bad news so 80s retro was huge a few years ago and 90s retro is huge now so in a few years, we're going to get the resurgence of those glorious, muddy brown open world games. And they're all going to be shooters. And it's going to be glorious for people that are younger than us. This year, 2031, E3, Gears 8, brown. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> Plug yourself into your VR gaming table and experience the color brown. There's no sounds. Just brown. <laughs> the brown note, dude. <laughs> it's just brown everywhere you look. If you feel brown today, play brown Gears of War. And there's just like alien screams and chainsaw sounds as well. Oh my God. What what games would they do? I'm trying to think. Like obviously Gears, but that is like a zombie franchise that'll never die. Um, not that that's bad. I love whatever. I love Gears, but um, there's I'm trying to think, and they just all mesh together. There was like, wasn't there a game that was just called Gun? Yeah, and it was. It I played was literally that. Like, yeah, it was hard. Was it hard? I it seems it so That's... simple. Its name was just Gun. Was that the I, one like, where I got like, it? You're, it was like a. There was sort of a Monkey King aspect to it. What am I thinking of? Hey, do you guys know anything about? Um, sorry, that was just a random uh, thing firing in my head. Uh, but the, oh no, I can't think of it. Tony was that game that had. Mama Goes Garage, where you're a photographer. Beyond Good and Evil? Beyond yeah, Good there you Evil. go. Sorry. Beyond Good and Evil. They, I saw trailers for that a while back. Did that go anywhere? I don't. I haven't followed any news oh, yeah. about it. They're, they're making the no. sequel. That game is so vaporware, dude. Yeah, it's super vaporware. The problem also about it being Good and Evil 2 is that it has fucking nothing to do with Good and Evil. It didn't look like it at all. It looked pretty, but yeah, it didn't look like it had anything to do with the first story whatsoever, for what I know about it speaking of monkey king stuff and maybe we can start to wrap up here soon because it is quite late but there's a chinese studio that's developing a monkey king game that just came out with a gameplay trailer that's maybe like 15 minutes i'm sure if you just like google monkey king game it looks obscenely cool it's got aspects of like uh dark souls kind of samurai sort of stuff the way that like neo or sekiro is but the elements of it that are like very foreign in ways that you know obviously monkey king stuff is always really goofy where he like flies around in a cloud or has this big staff there's aspects of this gameplay trailer where he like turns into a locust and flies around and that's like one of your main modes of transportation is you just have this super zoomed in view of a locust ass as he's flying around and then you just suddenly transform into this monkey wielding a staff all of that aside it is stunning it is absolutely beautiful the bosses the the combat all of the different aspects of that are just 
some of the most gorgeous gameplay I've seen all year, and it came out of absolutely nowhere. So if you guys haven't checked it out, I'll, I'll maybe find the actual name for it so you're not just, like, randomly Googling Monkey King game. Monkey King Hero is back. Is that the name? I saw the trailer, by the way, and it, it really did look awesome. Is that the title? Is it Monkey or, King Hero? Uh, Black Myth Wukong oh, is the name. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Okay. I, I did see it. I'm so excited, by the way, um, to see games from not necessarily just the West and Japan. Because video games for the longest time, those have been the centers of games. So you have a Western game, you have a Japanese game. There were some European games, obviously. That's growing a little bit too. And it's awesome to see that. Obviously, CD Projekt Red's from Poland. A lot of the CRPG stuff comes from Europe. Germans love simulators. But for the most part, in gaming history... I haven't seen a ton of games from, you know, African developers. I haven't seen a ton, of, a ton of games from Indian developers, even though Rockstar purchased a giant studio in India, and that's a big part of Rockstar's development. What are their games like? What are Indian game developers coming up with? It makes sense that China's going to start really, really breaking into the industry some. People have mixed feelings about that, but from a purely creative point of view, like you said, we have these people telling stories I haven't heard before. They're making games with visions I haven't seen before. I'm always for that. Give me more Russian games. Tetris was a masterpiece. <laughs> I want to see more Russian games. I want to see, I don't know, a bunch of games. Games from Brazil. Like, I want to see it. That's always a good thing. We could do uh, whatever Russian game. It could be kind of like new, um, what was that called? Killer Instinct or the one the be- one with the beast mode. It could be Putin and a bear riding a horse. Oh, yes. <laughs> in, in Tekken, you can play as a bear. Maybe we can call the bear Putin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm watching that trailer, Tony. It looks awesome. Yeah, I hope you guys check it out, and maybe we can uh, talk about it next time or something. But it is quite late for me, and I hope it's okay with you guys if we start to wind down. Totally. I'm so sorry you were up so late. Yeah, it's about it's about 12.40 for me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be heading off to bed. But I really appreciate you guys joining me, and I really appreciate whoever is listening, taking a, taking a listen and hearing our random thoughts about two decade old games and gamescom reviving those yeah man I'm glad i got to come on finally yeah and i hope that you can come back soon all right thank you guys so much for recording and thanks for tuning in and we will see you all next week